Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 12 called, In His Name, The Nations Will Hope. Matthew 12. We have a short section to tackle this morning. We're moving verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new to us, this is how we do things. We go through books of the Bible, and we have a beautiful section ahead about hope and justice. So let's do this. Once you have it, would you stand to your feet? We're going to read the section together. Matthew 12. We're picking up at verse 15. Matthew 12, 15. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, Matthew twelve fifteen. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was, 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles, you could translate that, the nations. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles of the nations will hope. You can have a seat. Father, you uh, tell us in the scriptures very clearly that You're a God of justice and a God of hope. In fact, uh, the Bible describes you in Romans as the God of hope. And we're grateful that Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 1.1, is our hope. We are in a world desperately longing for hope. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of hope with a king who is not only the king of love and the king of truth, but He also embodies hope and justice. Those will be big themes for us this morning. And they are uh, characteristics of your nature that we need to understand because we want to worship you for who you are and also want to be more like you, Lord. So would you help us to help me to teach your word faithfully? Help us to respond to it in a way that would glorify you with the intent of obeying what you teach us. Uh, Let us see afresh some ideas about the gospel that maybe we don't always connect to the gospel, that is uh, justice and hope. And I pray that you would be pleased in what happens here and that you'd be speaking to our hearts and that the spirit of the living God would have your way in this church, I pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, would you say Amen. amen? Now, you'll notice in this section, um, a lot of your Bibles will have this italicized or capitalized. And you can see from 17 down, there's a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased and following. And that is a direct quote, if you're a note taker, from Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42 is the first of four servant songs. So the servant songs are prophecies about the coming Messiah captured in the description, 
the servant of Yahweh. And in the book of Isaiah, if you've studied through the book of Isaiah, you know that the prophet Isaiah was given a tough job. He was told that he was going to preach a message of warning to the nation. And they would keep on listening, but they would not hear. They would not repent. And he had to preach some difficult stuff to them about coming judgment and God's ways not being honored. But throughout the book, every time you're reading a portion of Isaiah, if you've never read through it before and you feel like, oh man, this is just a total bummer section, hope begins to emerge. And God, whenever he's dealing with us, he wants to give us hope to hold on to. And one of those handles that we can hold on to in the book of Isaiah is captured in the servant songs or the servant of Yahweh. So let me give you the addresses for those of you who'd like to go back and look at these. There's four of them in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Isaiah 49, 1 through 13. Isaiah 50, 4 through 11. And then Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. One of these will come to mind for you immediately. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the suffering servant. That's the fourth servant song. And that's where it says that Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, etc. Now those prophecies in Isaiah were written about 700 years before Jesus was born. Obviously 700 plus years before his earthly ministry. And one of the things that they reveal about the Messiah is that he would be a servant. He he said to the disciples when they were arguing, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And he said, essentially, if you're going to be great, you must be also servant of all. He demonstrated that servant's heart in washing their feet and so many other things that he did, right? He was a servant. And ultimately, he had come to serve his father, but he also had come to serve us by paying the ultimate price for our sin. So Jesus was among us as one who serves. And we can be thinking about Jesus, obviously, first and foremost. This passage is about Jesus, and we want the focus to stay there. But this passage is also filled with a lot of application, because we're to walk in the same manner as he walked. So be watching out for cues about your own Christian life. What does God say hope is about? Justice is about? How am I supposed to walk as a follower of Christ? Let's pick up the account in verse 15. In his name, the nations will hope. Jesus, aware of this, Matthew 12, 15, what was he aware of? Well, he was aware of the evil intentions of the religious elite, the Pharisees, namely in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Now, this is where one scholar says the backroom conversations begin to emerge about the cross and that the Pharisees are planning the demise of Jesus. They want to destroy him. Question, why? What has he just done? Two miracles or two teachings, if you will, on the Sabbath day. One was the apostles picking the the heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath and the religious leadership seemed to be always hiding behind a bush or something, right? Hey, what are you doing? You know you're in trouble if you're living your life that way, by the way. If you're always the judgmental police. Hey, hey, what are you, hey, 
Well, that's what they were doing, and they would huddle up, you know, why is he doing that? What's he doing? And Jesus appeals to Scripture. Haven't you read? And he goes back, and Shane taught us those stories last time. And then he goes into the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand. And that man represents the nation, in my opinion, withered. Why? Because they won't really follow God, especially in the upper echelons of leadership. And so Jesus says, hey, is it lawful, boys, since you're worried about dotting your I's and crossing your T's to heal on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? What do you think? If you had an animal, if your dog fell into a well on a Sunday, would you say, well, sorry, buddy, (laughs) I'll be back tomorrow to get you. See, I can't work on the Sabbath day. No, that's ridiculous. If your animal fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you carry him out? Wouldn't you do good? The, the Sabbath is not about not moving. It's about having God's heart. And so he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man, how do you stretch out a withered hand? I don't know, by faith. And he stretched out his hand and it became normal and whole. And it's a picture of anyone who would reach out to Messiah, their withered life would be restored, amen, in the most important areas of life. And for that, for a miracle done on a Sabbath, they wanted to what? Destroy him. I mean, you know something's wrong in your life if you see a beautiful miracle occur and all you can do is nitpick and want to destroy the one who did the miracle. But that's where they were at. They had become so blinded by their man-made traditions that they couldn't even see the proof right in front of them. And Jesus was aware of their evil intentions, verse 15, and so he withdrew. He knew that they were going to try to destroy him, and he was on his father's divine timeline. He would die when his father determined and how he determined. And when would he die? On the Passover, He would die in fulfillment of Passover imagery. He would die on a cross, not by being stoned, not by, you know, being attacked by a mob. That that wasn't the father's plan. And so he withdrew. He withdrew from there. He was aware of their plan. And many followed him. Jesus could never quite withdraw, you know. He always had people following him around. And look, he didn't say to those people, can you give me a break? These people are huddling up wanting to kill me. Hello? He didn't ask for people to hear him or anything. What did he do? The Bible says, many followed him and he healed them all. What a gracious God we have. Amen? Never worried about himself. Never worried about the plot hatched against him. He's got people trying to plan his demise and he's just touching people. And there's no detail. This is a comprehensive section. He healed them all. What, what was wrong with these people? Probably a variation of all kinds of different ailments and diseases and problems. And he healed them all. And there's no detail given. And this tells us something about Jesus, that many of his healings were what we would call parabolic. That means they, had, they were like a parable of a spiritual condition. He would heal someone of being crippled. And it was like, you know, getting back up again, spiritually speaking. But in, in this case, all the healings that were done were just simply because he's a God of compassion. He healed them all. How many there were, I don't know. But numbers of people. And you could imagine people celebrating and being excited about, look, I can walk. Look, I can see. And Jesus did something that always kind of surprises us in the Bible. He warned them 
not to make him known. <laughs> now, I know you've been healed, but don't tell anybody. Aren't you the guy that used to walk with a limp? Can't tell you. Aren't you the guy that used to be blind by the gate? Can't tell you. <laughs> You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a very special event that we're hosting at the church where I serve as senior pastor. It's called Living Truth Christian Fellowship right here in the city of Corona. It's the Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference. I'll tell you, some of the top apologetic speakers in the Christian world. This is Lenny Esposito. Now, this conference is designed to specifically tackle our sex-saturated culture and provide answers to the challenges believers face today. Subjects that fill today's headlines like What is critical theory and is it compatible with faith? Now, we'll also tackle really specific church issues such as the battle for the biblical Adam and Eve, the war against the family and how our relationships are being undermined. We'll also deal with how our culture is losing its grip on knowledge as real. Why don't you check it out today? Go to walkintruth.com. Look for that link at the top of our site, walkintruth.com. And you can link right there, sign up, bring some friends and grow in your most holy faith. God bless you. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Now, I know you've been healed, but don't tell anybody. Aren't you the guy that used to walk with a limp? Can't tell you. Aren't you the guy that used to be blind by the gate? Can't tell you. (laughs) Now here specifically, it doesn't say don't tell them about the healing. It tells them, it says don't make him known. Because the natural question if you got healed is, well, how did it happen? And who healed you? Like the man who was born blind. Who's the one that healed you? We want to know more. And so Jesus makes this warning. What's he trying to do? Well, he took precautions to avoid unnecessary attention or premature confrontation. Uh, He said, don't make me known yet. Don't announce this. Don't broadcast. You know, uh, today's so-called healing ministries would do well to follow the lead of Jesus, don't you think? He didn't say, now go write a book. Now go get interviewed by Fox and CNN. Now go get in front of a camera and have a press conference, and and make sure you include me, and I'll give my website, www.jesusthehealer.com. No, none of that. He didn't want any fanfare. He didn't want any unnecessary attention. That's the heart of our God. And oh boy, I'll tell you, that confronts me right to my core, because I don't mind, at least from time to time, an attaboy, amen? Or if you're a female, an girl, right? It's not a bad thing, and and we all need encouragement, but that's not why Jesus was here. He didn't need to go through and people to chronicle every single detail of his healing ministry. He simply healed the people. And Matthew tells us this 17 was in order that what was spoken through Isaiah 700 plus years before, through Isaiah, notice he's called Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled. If you're interested, uh, this language has been mentioned in Matthew one twenty two about Jesus being Emmanuel. Chapter 2, verse 15, 223. You can go back and take, uh, listen to this later if you want all the addresses. 817. It'll be ahead of us in 1335 and 214. 
And in all those cases, Matthew will say, this happened in order that it might be fulfilled. Now, let me just pause just for a second. If you're new to the Bible, one of the uh, validations that the Bible is divine from God is predictive prophecy. Jesus fulfills, some scholars say, 300 plus prophecies in where he's born, how he lives, how he dies, etc. Some people say there's at least 48 messianic prophecies with specifics about details about Jesus' life, and you can go do some research on that. But there are definitely prophets who prophesy about Jesus, and Isaiah seems to be one of Matthew's favorites. And he, and he appeals now to this prophecy in the servant song in Isaiah 42. It's almost directly quoted from the Hebrew except for a few things that are left out. And the, the servant song says the following, and there are going to be four servant songs. And as we study these uh, servant songs in Matthew and other places, the, what emerges is some beautiful descriptions of Jesus. Take a look at some familiar ways he's described. Behold, you could think of the father talking about his son. He describes Jesus as my servant, 18, whom I have chosen. He is the chosen beloved one in whom my soul is well pleased. When the, Jesus was being baptized, the heavens opened and the voice came, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. Later on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, listen to him. When the heavens were opened, John the Baptist said he saw something else. He saw uh, the Holy Spirit descend on him in the form of a dove, almost like the uh, beginning of his earthly ministry, the empowering of the Spirit. And notice it says, I will put my spirit upon him, echoing Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open up prison doors, etc. And then something that we may not uh, always connect directly to the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he, Messiah, this servant, shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And if you have an NIV, it says, justice to the nations. Now, something we need to understand about the kingdom of God is this, that the kingdom is now and the kingdom will be. And right now, according to scripture, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father in the position of the king. And right now he is ruling and reigning. And you might say, well, where is it? Do you know where he rules and reigns? In his church. In fact, we, the church, are called to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? When we call Jesus Lord, we're saying king, master. Now, not all the world is obeying Jesus, obviously. We can see that in the fruit of our fallen world. But one-third of the population of the world claims that Jesus Christ is their Lord. And those who have looked at world history have said, and I've said this in the last several weeks, that the world is only somewhat tolerable because of the influence of Christianity. Amen? The Western world has been blessed with the influence of Christianity. And you can see that. You can go all the way back to the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, when they were practicing infanticide and throwing their babies by the sides of rivers for whatever their motivation was, the Christians were coming behind them and picking up those babies and bringing them into their homes. That's the influence of Christianity. The influence of Christianity looked at slavery and said, this is wrong. We're all created equal. And there, was, there were battles to abolish slavery in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in following the biblical model that our God is just. Amen? He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Our God cares about justice. And in the last 
you know, decade or so, we've heard a lot about justice, haven't we? We've had people arguing in the streets about social justice and who should define justice and who's right and who's wrong. And we've had people two inches away from one another's faces with spit flying saying, I'm right and I'll hold this sign and you're wrong and who's right and who's wrong. And sometimes you look at the world and you're like, this is craziness. Who can actually proclaim what is just and true and right? Well, here's a definition of justice. Since it says Messiah, look at the end of 18, will proclaim justice to the nations. And we're beginning to see a hint that the nations are included in the plan of God. The religious leadership thought that Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, were only good to fan the fires of hell. How do you like that? They didn't even think that if you were Italian, you could end up sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. They go, no, no, you're just going to be part of how we get the fire going again. Oh, wonderful. You've been listening to In His Name, The Nations Will Hope, part one on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 23. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel, or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, sometimes when we consider the idea of justice, we try to square that with love. And there's a lot of talk in the culture and even the church culture about what's the loving thing to do. And it seems like oftentimes the implication is that love and justice just simply can't you know, walk together. And that's just not true. Because the Bible says that God is love, but also that God is just. God is love, but God is holy. They are not mutually exclusive because they exist in the one true God. But how do they intersect or how do they walk together? How do I walk in both love and biblical justice? What does that look like? We've had a lot of talk about social justice and what is that? And so sometimes people wonder, well, part of the problem is that people don't have a, and I say people, I think you know what I'm saying. Many people don't have a biblical definition of love. You see, love wants to honor God and wants to do what's best for another. And love, here's an example. While love is patient and kind, love does not rejoice in what's wrong. It cannot rejoice in what's unrighteous. So there's there's an example of a verse that you may not have heard before when it comes to love. Love cannot rejoice in evil. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. So Jesus is incarnate love. Look at his life. Yes, he was amazingly patient with broken, repentant sinners, but he was also extremely strong and corrective and rebuked phony hypocrisy. And that was the same Jesus walking in the same sandals, love and justice met, they kissed in the person of Christ. And that's what we want to be too. We want to have a good passion for justice, but of course we want to do everything we do in love. And you say, well, how could anybody 
measure up to that. Well, nobody will, no human will, only Jesus did that perfectly. But here's the beauty of it. When you become a Christian, Christ lives in and through you. It's no no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. The fruits of the Spirit come as one surrenders their life, crucifies the flesh, and walks in the Spirit. And that's how love and justice will meet in the life of a Christian. I hope that helps with some of those questions. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You may have more questions about Bible stuff or maybe something you're going through. Uh, many of our listeners reach out to us through the website. It's walkintruth.com, walkintruth.com. And if you'd like to, let us know how the program's blessed you. I pray it has. And maybe you have a question. Maybe you have a comment about, you know, just I, I hope it's uh, something that you'd want to share that's positive about the ministry. But you may have a question about, you know, something else, whatever it may be, walkintruth.com is the place to go. And I hope you'll be with us tomorrow. Tell a friend about what you're hearing and we'll meet you right here, Lord willing. See you then. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew twelve fifteen through 23, called, In His Name, the Nations Will Hope. When we see someone who is just, it's so refreshing, isn't it? If we were to stand before a judge and we said, now I know this man is fair, that's hopeful. You know when we lose hope? When we're not sure what we're going to get. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.